Good morning. Would you please open your Bibles to Genesis 1, 26 through 28? It'll also be behind me on the screen. And then would you please stand with me? Thank you. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Good morning. It's uh, good to be here with you guys. Uh, thank you for having us. My wife's here, Jenny, with, with me too, and um, we are very happy to be here. It's been a pleasure to, to be able to serve at this conference, Life on Mission. What a great theme. And uh, as we were driving here, Jenny and I, we were chatting a little bit, and, and so I was trying to figure out how to describe Brandon, your pastor, to Jenny. So I said, well, uh, you know, well, we both came here around the same time, uh, our families. I think in 2011, the summer, both got to New England. And then I told Jenny, you know, Brandon is a unique guy because he is so gifted. He's such a gifted individual. Uh, but r- what really sets Brandon apart for me is his humility, and uh, which he's laughing about. That's good. That's, that's, I'm glad you can laugh about that. <laughs> but in all seriousness, what a gift uh, to this church. And uh, I appreciate his friendship. And uh, yeah, I'm grateful for Brandon in the last few years as we're coming from, I guess, the Midwest and coming to New England. And uh, so we, uh, I serve at South Shore Baptist Church, like Brandon said, and uh, it's, been, it's been great to be there. Let me pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we want to humble ourselves before your word. We ask that you would fill us with your spirit. Would you help us to understand the passages of Scripture that we will look at? And would you help us to apply this beautiful topic of spiritual multiplication to our own lives? Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, beauty from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you ever wonder whether the things that you're building in life, the things that you're investing in, actually matter? Do you ever feel like you're just going through the motions of life? You know, your, your wheels are spinning 100 miles an hour, doing lots of things, most of them fairly mundane. But who knows if any of the stuff that you do every single day actually counts for much. You ever feel like that? Think about all the mundane things we do every day or every week. We mow overgrown lawns. We, I guess we've been shoveling lots of snow, right? We, we eat mostly forgettable meals. 
we change nasty diapers. We wash the same dishes and we, we do the same laundry loads over and over again. We read and we respond to, the, to a never-ending string of emails. We put up with the same coworkers and teachers and classmates and family members. Maybe we have an inspiring conversation if we're lucky in our days. We go home, we watch an interesting television show, and then we go to bed. And guess what's waiting for us tomorrow morning? The same thing. The same thing. And we wonder, are we getting anywhere? Are we making any progress? Are we making a dent somewhere with someone? We plant a garden and we hope for a great crop. Sometimes we get very little for our efforts. We invest our money, hoping for a great yield, only to barely break even or lose out. We pour our lives into a work project, only to find out after several months or years that uh, nobody really cares. And then there's relationships too, right? We invest in our children, pouring our life out for them, and, and then they disappoint us. We invest in a friend. We, we, we build memories. We share experiences. And then they bail on us. We invest in a spouse and they frustrate us. And sometimes we're fruitless because we make poor choices. But sometimes we're fruitless because simply we live in a fallen world, right? And so bugs eat the crops that we plant and people steal our money. And of course, in relationships, there's two people and both are sinful. So yes, there is the tragedy of fruitlessness, but there's also the joy of fruitfulness, right? Seeing the flowers bloom, seeing the crop grow, tasting the juicy tomatoes that we've planted in our gardens, investing our money and seeing great yields, pouring out our life into people, pouring out our life into our children, and seeing the wonderful fruits of unity and love and friendship and memories. In a fallen world, we cannot guarantee fruitfulness in anything we do, but we can maximize our opportunity for joy in a fruitful life if we align ourselves with God's purposes. So we got to grasp, what is God investing in? And what does he want us, as God's people, to invest in? Now, here's the main idea I'm going to try to convey to you this morning. I'm going to give it to you off the bat. It's a very simple idea. Here it is. God's plan for his people is multiplication. God's plan for his people is multiplication. And when we believe this, our unflinching passion in life will be to produce spiritual descendants. We want to maximize our joy in Christ, our joy in fruitful labor, then we will give ourselves to the task of multiplication. If we want to minimize the tragedy of fruitlessness in our lives, then we will give ourselves to the task of multiplication. 
Now, what we're going to do this morning is a little unusual. Um, I usually prefer to pick one passage and explain it and then apply it to our lives. We're actually going to do a little tour of the Bible. We're going to look at four different passages where we're going to take this theme of multiplication and we're going to pull it through the biblical storyline. Okay? So we're going to look at four passages, and in each passage I'm going to highlight a particular theme about multiplication. So four passages and four themes. That's where we're going this morning. So the first passage was just read, Genesis chapter 1. So uh, hopefully you have your Bibles open to that passage right now. Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 28. Here's the first idea. Multiplication is a command. Multiplication is a command. So it's day six of creation. God's put together most of the universe at this point, of course. And finally, we get to his crown jewel, which, of course, is humanity. And in these verses, what we see is God's purpose for humanity. And God's purpose for humanity, of course, is wrapped up in this idea of being an image bearer of God. We see that in verse 26. We see that again in verse 27. Now, you've probably heard that being made in God's image means we have certain abilities that, well, animals don't. So we have the ability to reason. We have a capacity for relationships and for language and government and morality, right? So, yeah, I think that's right. I think part of what it means to be God's image bearers is to, in a sense, be like God. But notice in verse 26, notice in verse 26 how the image of God is linked to having dominion over the creatures. So bearing God's image primarily means being his representatives and rulers on the earth, okay? So you think about image bearers, think about being God's representatives on the earth. We are kind of like vice regents of a great king. We represent the king wherever we go. So we go over here and we represent the king's authority. We go over here and we represent the king's rule. We rule on God's behalf. This was God's original intention. But now notice, take into consideration verse 28. Look at verse 28. It says, be fruitful and multiply. So there it is. There's our theme, multiplication. The first time we see this theme in the Bible. Now when you pull these verses together, what you get is a magnificent thought about the purpose of humanity. As God's people multiply... Throughout the earth, God's dominion and his rule also spread throughout the earth. So in other words, what he's trying to do here, what the purpose for humanity, he's trying to get image bearers to multiply and spread out throughout the earth. And what that means is God's reign and his fame is also going to multiply and spread throughout the earth. This is God's original intention for his people. And notice again, it was a command. But this command to spread and multiply was rudely interrupted in Genesis chapter 3. As we know, sin entered the world. Adam and Eve, they had a conversation with a serpent. And they weren't interested in bearing God's image or enforcing his rule over this usurper, this serpent. No, they wanted to go their own way. They wanted to align themselves with the one that they were called to rule. 
So sin entered the world and corrupted humanity. And now the image of God, it wasn't destroyed, but it was marred and twisted. But the command to spread and multiply was still in place. Genesis chapters 3 through 6 documents how people sinned against God, how God judged them with the flood. You, of course, remember the story of Noah and the ark and the flood. But also how God preserved a faithful remnant in Noah and his family. And as Noah and his family get off the, get off the ark, God makes a covenant with them. And one of the things he says to Noah and his family is, be fruitful, multiply, spread out over the earth. Fill this earth with worshipers of God. Fill this earth with vice regents who will represent me. And that's why the Tower of Babel was such an act of defiance against God in Genesis chapter 11. It's an example how sin, it's an example of how sin directly twisted God's desire for multiplication. God says, multiply throughout the earth, have dominion over the earth so that my name will be great. But the people said at the Tower of Babel, let's all gather here in one place. Let's build this big tower so that our name will be great. Our sin, brothers and sisters, prevents us from multiplication. Our sin prevents us from keeping this command to multiply. We are prone to make duds. We are prone to multiply duds. We're prone to make wrong investments. Rather than multiplying people who walk with God, we want to multiply dollars in our savings account. Or we want to multiply the wrong kinds of people. We're not concerned to multiply people who will bear God's image. We're more concerned with maybe multiplying people who will bear our own image and our own name. And our egos get in the way just like it did at the Tower of Babel. Now, we can point outside the doors of the church and say, hey, this is what goes on outside the church. They're multiplying their own fame and their own name. But this, of course, happens within our doors as well, even though it's so subtle and sneaky in our hearts, right? It's probably more dangerous, actually, in the Christian world because we can cover up our inflated and sensitive egos with Christian activity. But then we ask ourselves good questions like, why am I insisting on leading the Sunday school class? Why am I pushing myself forward to disciple that person? Why am I pushing myself to be up front? Why am I so concerned to be known and thought well of at this church? Am I multiplying my own name and my own image or am I looking to multiply godly worshipers and spread God's fame. So, first we see here, multiplication is a command. But, because of sin, it's a command that we cannot keep. Okay, let's turn to the next passage, Genesis chapter 12. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15. Just a few verses in each chapter. And here we're going to see that multiplication is a promise. So first, multiplication is a command... But multiplication is also a promise. So God had to start over with Noah, and that didn't work out so well. We saw that in the Tower of Babel. So he started over again with Abraham, right? We see that in Genesis chapter 12. So let me read the first three verses. Now the Lord said to Abram, 
Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God pulls this guy out of nowhere and he says, I want you to move. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be a great nation someday and you will be a blessing to others. But of course, just like any of us, if we were Abram, we would have trouble trusting in this great promise and this great vision. So flip over just a few pages to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. Starting in verse 1 again. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold... The word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. So shall your offspring be. God says, Don't worry about your heir, Abram. I will give you one. And look at the stars. Your descendants will be like the stars. God's vision for Abraham's descendants is massive. Here in Genesis 15, it's like the stars in the sky. Back in Genesis 13, it's, uh, it's like the dust of the earth. In Genesis 22, it's like the sand of the seashore. Now, one of my uh, fondest memories as I... Uh, lived, I grew up in Michigan, was laying on my back um, before Lake Michigan on the dunes of Traverse City, Michigan, staring up at the stars for a few hours and taking it all in on a clear, clear night. Nothing, of course, makes you feel so small as when you look at stars for that long. In a few months, Lord willing, um, we're going to be uh, laying on our backs too on, on a beach somewhere. The snow melts. And they say one handful of sand contains 10,000 grains. Apparently, the earth has over seven quintillion grains of sand. That's seven with 18 zeros. So what God is saying to Abram is clear. You're not going to be able to count your descendants. This vision that God is giving Abraham is beyond anything he can imagine and it's beyond anything he can accomplish, right? So multiplication, yes, it's a command, but it's a promise. In today's evangelical culture, often our language for multiplication puts the focus on what we do the strategic nature of our job. It's our job to make disciples. It's our job to teach disciples, to make disciples, and so forth. And and this is all true, but we must remember that the 
whole business of salvation, of course, is ultimately the work of God. He is the great multiplier, as we see here in Genesis 12 and 15. He is the only one that can pull this off, right? He's the only one that can do this. A missions mindset that solely depends on human efforts will lead to anxious, frenzied, and frantic labor. It's not enjoyable. But a missions mindset that recognizes that God is the great multiplier, that he's going to come through on this promise, it leads to gratitude in the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you that I am one of those that you've chosen. Thank you that I am one of these grains of sand, one of those stars. And recognizing God is the great multiplier also leads to privilege, to a sense of privilege and humility as we go on mission, right? God, thank you for choosing to use me of all people. I'm so broken and weak. And yet your strength is made perfect in this weakness. Your grace is strong in this weakness, in this man. Thank you, Lord. So we see first that multiplication is a command, but it's a command that we cannot keep because of sin. Secondly, we see that multiplication is a promise, a great promise Now, part of this plan to multiply uh, the nation of Israel, nobody saw coming, right? Uh, They would be in Egypt for 400 years. And and yes, they would multiply, but they would multiply as slaves. Nobody saw that coming. But then God would miraculously rescue them out of Egypt. He would bring them to his mountain, and he would give them his covenant and his laws. And now I want to turn to our third passage, which is Deuteronomy chapter 6. So turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I want to show you some of these covenant laws and instructions that he gave to his people very early on. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 1. And the principle for this passage is that multiplication happens by the word. It happens by the word of God. Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 1. Now, this is the commandment the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going to possess it, and that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Now notice in the first couple verses, what do we see? We see a summary of what Israel is supposed to do in the promised land. They're supposed to obey God's statutes and rules. They were supposed to to fear God. And who is this directed to? Notice, it's directed to the readers, you and your son and your son's son. Here's Old Testament multiplication. You've got to teach your kids, Israel, to know God, to obey God, to fear God. Now notice what happens if Israel teaches future generations. Look at verse 3 again. What happens if they do this? Well, it will go well with them, and they will multiply greatly. Isn't that interesting? 
So here's the implication. God's commitment to multiply his people is contingent upon their teaching future generations about himself. In other words, God doesn't want to multiply duds. He doesn't want to invest in multiplying flops. He wants to multiply worshipers of the living God. And this experience of passing the baton is a very enjoyable human experience for us sometimes, right? It happens all the time. You you think of teachers or writers or musicians who pass on their skill to the next generation. You think of expert carpenters and craftsmen and tradesmen who pass on their craft to the next generation. And when their followers go the right way, and when the followers even go beyond their mentors in their skill, in their craft, man, there's so much joy and pride, right? But when their followers abandon the craft, abandon the skill, and go their own way, there's distress. And of course, this happens with our children too, right? Um, I have two kids, and um, Lord willing, we'll have more. Uh, but Jenny and I, you know, we, we hope to raise children that love Jesus and love people more than we do. Nothing would make us happier. And I'm sure you would say the same thing about your children as well. God is calling Israel to that kind of a focus. And when Israel loses that kind of a focus, I think he's saying here, I'm not going to bless you and I'm not going to multiply you greatly. So the kind of person that God is concerned about multiplying is very important. It's not just physical descendants that God is concerned about multiplying, even here in the Old Testament. He's concerned about descendants who bear a certain character, who have a certain heart, who have a right posture towards God. And that's why the word is so important. Because the word shapes people's hearts, and lives. I said this Saturday morning, and I'm going to say it again this morning. It's the Word of God through the Spirit of God that accomplishes the work of God. We've got to get that right. We've got to trust that that's true. It was true in the garden as Adam received the Word of God, and he, of course, was called to pass it on to his wife. Of course, they failed. It's true in Israel, as Israel was called to receive and obey God's covenant laws, and Jewish families, fathers and mothers, were were called to pass it on to the next generation. The early church, as we think about the book of Acts and how the word of God multiplied in the lives of people and prevailed mightily. And so if you don't want to multiply duds, then you've got to make sure to pass this baton to the next generation. So what's the application for us today? Well, it's pretty simple and it's fairly obvious. Read the Bible with everyone you come into contact with. Read the Bible with everyone you come in contact with. Starting with your children, your grandchildren, you know, your aging grandmother, your spouse, your coworkers, your best friend who loves Jesus, your skeptic neighbor, a neighbor across the street who doesn't love Jesus. Make it your aim to read the Bible and unleash the gospel 
on people who do and don't know Christ because it is the power of God for salvation. So what's next in our story? Well, you can see these, you know, maybe little Jewish boys in Old Testament times hearing about this great vision, this great promise of multiplication from their parents. You know, you can see their eyes light up. You know, Papa, this is going to come from us, from, from our little nation. All of this is going to come from us. And then generation after generation after generation after generation of that not happening. Perhaps the people of Israel grew discouraged and weary. And you realize that Israel had probably failed to obey Deuteronomy 6 too, right? You don't see generation of generation of godly worshipers. You, you see a whole lot of duds. People who were not worshiping God the way they wanted to. So you wonder, how is God going to come through on this promise? How will his people be like the sand, like the stars, like the dust, like the hundredfold harvest? How is this going to happen? Well, not surprisingly, it all came back together in Jesus Christ. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died a brutal death. He was raised to new life. All so sinners will be saved. Sinners who multiply only duds. Sinners who want to multiply their own image and their own name and not God's. Sinners who refuse to reign on God's behalf all over the earth. Sinners who don't pass on the word of God to the next generation. In other words, sinners who can't perfectly keep God's commandment to multiply. It's all of us in this room. When we put our faith in this Jesus, his righteous life of multiplication becomes ours. And our sinful life of multiplying duds becomes his. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the beautiful truth that we can rest in this morning. This is the, the truth that we can take comfort in, that we can find freedom in. There is a real freedom from the gospel from being enslaved to Christian activity, even good missional Christian activity. You don't have to do uh, be on mission to be accepted by God. You don't have to multiply disciple makers to be accepted by God. God, you can't do anything more, including make disciples, to increase God's love and acceptance for you. What a freeing truth. Jesus did this on our behalf. But I also hope that this grace that saved us, which freed us, will also be the same grace that will energize us to be disciple makers. So let's turn to the last passage, Matthew chapter 28. Very familiar passage to all of us, I hope. Matthew 28. Jesus' words to his disciples, starting in verse 18, and Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so here, our final idea 
Multiplication is now happening from all nations. Multiplication from all nations. Jesus is essentially recapitulating what God said in Genesis chapter 1 in this great commission. He's saying multiply restored image bearers of God from all the nations, from all humanity. It started with all humanity bearing God's image. Sin, of course, sin, of course, messed that up. But now through Jesus, God's image can be restored to the nations. It's going back to all humanity. Now these image bearers, us, we, uh, we are like Christ. We bear his image. Now these disciples of Jesus would bear his image and in so doing become the true image of God again. Now these disciples would multiply and spread and in so doing bring God's dominion and rule and fame throughout the earth. You see, Jesus is bringing us back to the garden. He's bringing us back to God's original intention. For the Old Testament people of God, the vision was stars and dust and sand. Then Jesus, he shows up, he he rekindles, and he kind of expands that vision. He starts talking about a great harvest. He starts talking about a a little mustard seed that's going to become a huge tree. And then we read the book of Revelation. And what do we read there? We read about the marriage supper of the Lamb. A great party where people from every tribe and tongue and nation will be present. God's plan for his people is still multiplication. The Old Testament people of God had stars and dust and sand, and we can add to that a great harvest, a mustard seed that turns into a huge tree and a huge, huge party in honor of the Lamb. Where all of the nations are there. So, in a few months, God willing, when you're at the beach, pick up some sand and let 10,000 grains flow through your fingers. Get on your back on a clear night and take in the stars. Picture the beautiful marriage supper of the Lamb. God is going to multiply his people in a big way. And brothers and sisters, do you have this vision before you? Do you have this vision before you? Let this vision for spiritual descendants motivate you and inspire you and energize you to make disciples today. So let's quickly review. Multiplication is a command, but it's one that we can't keep because of our sin. Multiplication is a promise, and it's a promise of a huge vision. Multiplication happens with God's word. And finally, multiplication is for the nations. I want to tell you about my friend Neil, um, who is uh, a pastor back in Michigan. Uh, He's about 63 years old. Neil has been pouring his life into college students for uh, over three decades college students in Nebraska and Iowa and Michigan for the last 28 years or so. And Neil was a a great encouragement to Jenny and I as we were in Michigan. We partnered with him in ministry for six years. I remember taking a train ride with Neil on a mission trip in Bangladesh from Dhaka to Chittagong. And as we're driving on this three or four hour train ride, we were sharing uh, silly stories. We're actually talking about 
past dating relationships. So it's, it's kind of bizarre, kind of strange, but we had a lot of fun doing that. So we're laughing, we're sharing stories, and then all of a sudden, Neil gets really serious when he starts to talk about a particular woman named Penny. Penny. They met in their late 20s, and they fell in love, and they thought they were going to get married. They were, they, they were talking about doing life and ministry together. They were talking about having a family together. Neil was so excited about having children with Penny. But it didn't work out for Neil and Penny. They went their separate ways. Neil was telling me this story through tears. I think of another memory of Neil. Oh, about, I don't know, seven years ago or so, Jenny and I walked into gymnasium of South Church in Lansing, Michigan. And we were there to celebrate Neil's 25th anniversary of working with college students on Michigan State University's campus. And we had sent invitations all over the world, all over the country, to, to get people back to, to the celebration. We had no idea how many people would show up to this. There were over 350 people who came from all over the country and all over the world. And they were there to celebrate God's grace in this man's life because he had been for them for a season, their spiritual father, and they were his spiritual children. And so Neil will likely never have biological children, but my goodness, he has lots, hundreds, probably thousands by now of spiritual children and spiritual descendants. And man, that's what I want for me. That's what I want for my family. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for my church in Hingham. So yes, there is a tragedy when we think about fruitlessness. Investing in things that don't matter or investing in the wrong way in things that do matter. But there's also a joy that comes when we are fruitful and investing in things that matter. And that comes when we participate in what is on God's heart. Multiplication of his people throughout the earth for his glory. Maybe sin is keeping you from this vision of multiplication and boy, you'd be so useful to the king, but he's got to refine you first. Maybe you're distracted with worldly success and money and family activities and the American dream and the next vacation spot. And he's got to get your attention. And so he's doing something in your life. He's humbling you right now. And he's asking you to repent. Because you've forgotten the mission. And this is you. Take heart. The gospel is for you today. Take this moment to repent and to receive forgiveness from Jesus and to receive also the grace of renewal so that you can recommit yourself to this vision of multiplication. Maybe for some of you here, sin isn't the issue. Maybe discouragement is the issue. You've bought into this vision of multiplication, but you're not convinced that what you're doing actually matters. Maybe you're in a unique stage of life. You're a young mom with little ones and they dominate your time. I come home often and I ask Jenny, 
how was your day? And she says sometimes, well, the kids are alive. And I, I think to myself, you know what? Her day was probably 10 times harder than my day was. Right? Maybe that's you. You're just trying to keep your kids alive. Or you're working long hours just to keep your family afloat. Or you're a single parent holding down two jobs. Or you're a senior and you don't know what you have to offer the next generation. You're intimidated. What does multiplication look like for you? How do you know that what you're investing in will actually count? Let me encourage you, friends. God doesn't want you to neglect your family or neglect your jobs, neglect your particular situations. But God wants you to figure out how to multiply exactly where you are at. With your children, with your grandchildren, at your play dates, in your neighborhood, at your school, at your office. What does it look like to multiply? And on that day when Jesus returns, the day when all of us are going to give an account for what we've done with our time, your tiny kingdom investments and installments, they're going to look massive. Your steady faithfulness with your children, day after day, week after week, training them up in the Lord. Your regular prayers and your regular encouragement for the brother who has lost his way. Nobody sees. Your notes to the sister who's in crisis. Your gospel words to the co-worker who is antagonistic towards the gospel. Who's pushing you away. God sees what is hidden. And he is pleased. Because you are involved in the greatest work on the planet. The work of spiritual multiplication. So be encouraged this morning. Let's pray. Father, we glory in the good news of Jesus Christ this morning which calls sinners out of darkness and into your marvelous light. We are so thankful that we can be swept up, this church, Westgate Church, my church, we can be swept up into this great vision of stars and sand and dust and harvest. Thank you, Father. Thank you for including us. And Father, that we could be called sinful, broken, weak people to be disciple makers. What a privilege, what an honor it is to be on mission for you. Father, would you help us and encourage us? Would you give us the grace each day to know how to multiply, to know where to make investments? Would you encourage us in this great work, Father? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you continue in prayer with me before our Lord? Lord, we ask that you would take your spirit and apply this word to our hearts and our lives this morning.
change us, fill us with your vision, God. Your word says, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Lord, would that vision, that day when all nations are gathered, when the fruit of multiplication is brought in from the harvest and placed before your feet, would our hearts be filled with the dream of that day as we labor on behalf for you? Help us dream about it. Help us remember it. Help us be faithful. And Lord, we pray that that fruit would be born not only here at Westgate, but among our missionaries around the globe. Uh, the privilege we have of partnering together with others. And we think specifically, Lord, this morning of Garrett and Julie in Haiti and the, the decisions they're making about what their next steps in ministry will be down there, Lord. Uh, would you be with them and guide their steps? We think of the, the spiritual descendants of the 17 girls in the orphanage they've been investing in for the last three years. Lord, would those girls bear much fruit for you. And Lord, we think of Chris and Kim Swanson and their work at MIT. We think of the very uh, difficult spiritual climate, especially this past week with two suicides on campus, God. Lord, would you... Ring out your message of love and grace and hope. Would you strengthen them as they serve you? And would you get, would you open the hearts and eyes of students to see that there is life, that there's significance beyond our performance, that Christ is enough exactly where we are not? And would you use this tragedy, Lord, to bring about a harvest? And Lord, we thank you and praise you for old-fashioned multiplication with the birth of uh, Jenna Francesca Cassano recently, Lord, and the addition of new life to this congregation. We praise you for her safe delivery. Be with Mark and Diana and the girls as they celebrate her. And Lord, we pray for those among us who are on the hurting side of health. Lord, would you be with Wayne Griffith as he recovers from his neck surgery and encourage his heart, Lord. It's so hard to go through um, debilitating illnesses and debilitating surgeries and, and, and for the the effect of those to not kick in right away. And just pray that you'd encourage his heart. Keep him dependent on you. Pray the same for Keith Keogh as he recovers from his fall. Lord, would you keep him clinging to your cross, rejoicing in you, hoping in the resurrection. We pray the same for those among us who battle cancer, Lord. For Mary Boy, 
for Mary Smith, for Bob French. We pray, Lord, for Patty Gear and, and her health difficulties, Lord. Would you strengthen and encourage her and bring healing? And Lord, we, we pray these things knowing that there will come a day when you will answer that conclusively and decisively in the resurrection where there will be no more sorrow, suffering, there will be no more pain. All will be made new. All will be put right. And that's that day that we look to worship you together with all your children from around the globe and across time. May our hearts be fueled with that hope. And may we be faithful in the meantime, Jesus. We ask it in your name. Amen.